You know, yesterday we had uh, a really cool thing happening here at the church that you may not have been aware of. We had one of our Global Focus for Our City projects take off, and that was uh, Roger Poindexter's class, Mike Sarton's class. They were here with our, some of our merged students serving uh, some of our single moms by cleaning up and detailing cars and uh, just being an outreach to folks in the community. Doing that way, it was great seeing our merged kids here jumping in and partnering with uh, Roger's class and Mike's class, just getting that done. And I, I say that to say a couple of things. You know, our life groups are so important here. They're, everything that we do is focused in and around our life groups because that's where you find community. That's where you're going to be taught the Bible. If you go in the second hour, you'll get it again, which is so important for us because uh, there's just so much of the scripture, an hour a week just isn't going to cut it. You know, I mean, you just, you just need that in your life. But secondly, I, I would just remind you, you know, you don't have to feel like you need to be a teacher to be able to lead a life group. You can lead a life group and we'll get you a teacher. I mean, that'll work, you know. And so you may say, I can organize a life group and get some things done, but I don't know if I'd feel comfortable being the teacher. And that's okay. Uh, you can lead with a life group and, and we'll get a teacher to co-lead with you and help you do that. Uh, because we want people to be in fellowship and community uh, together around the Word of God. Well, this morning we're going to start, uh, or I guess I should say continue our series that we've been calling Golden, uh, and we just want to answer this question this morning. I want you to think about this. What do you want? What is it that you really want? If somebody kind of asks that question, it can be a little bit hard for us to answer at any given time, I think because our desires seem to shift and change. You know, it's very rare in your life that things stay the same. They don't remain static for too long. Uh, the Bureau of Labor and Statistics for the U.S. government says that most of you have no chance of working in the same job your entire life. That on average, you'll change jobs about every four years. That's what the average American does. And as you do that, I think we understand that change is difficult and knowing what we want is difficult because sometimes we feel like we found the right career and then something changes at that job and we feel like ah, it's probably time for me to make a change. For some of us in the room, uh, our hobbies and interests have changed through the years. As we grow, our hobbies and interests change. It makes it difficult for us to answer the question what we really want to do with our time. For some of you, the most paralyzing decision that you ever have to make is when somebody gives you an Amazon gift card <laughs> because you don't know what you want, right? I mean, it's all right there in front of you and, and, and just spending that $20 gift card is just very difficult to know what you want to do with it. But I believe that most of us this morning are seeking something. For a lot of us, we're seeking significance. We, we really want to be appreciated. We want to be known. We want to be loved. We want to be valued. Some of us right now are seeking just to have as much fun as possible. We're looking for that next thing in our life that's going to bring entertainment or enjoyment or what we think will be fulfillment or a thrill in our lives. We're seeking it. We're chasing it. But that brings us back to this question. What do you really want? Well, many of us have a list of what we want or desire right now. But without knowing it, we may be chasing the wrong thing. We may be chasing something that's unimportant. And today we're going to look at one of the most exciting parts of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus told his followers they could receive good things from the Heavenly Father by asking, seeking, and knocking. And he assured them that the Heavenly Father would respond to them in a way that would be perfect for them. And if that is true, then why are so many of us really confused about what we really want? Why is it that we find ourselves not knowing what to ask for, not knowing what we're really seeking, or not knowing even which door to knock on 
to be able to receive what God has promised to us from the scripture. So this morning, my hope is really what will happen in your life is that you'll see exactly what God hopes you would desire and that you'll know how to ask for it and receive it. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 7, and we'll read verse 7 as our starting point this morning. But I want you to see Jesus' words on prayer because just as he finished reminding people about not being judgmental towards other people, he shifts over to this and says, here's how you can receive what you really want or what you really should desire. And I hope that'll be important for you this morning. Verse seven, let's read it together. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? When you read that, did it sound like it did to me that Jesus is basically saying he's ready to grant every desire that you ever could have or ask or seek or knock on a door and, and hope that you would find on the other side? It sounds like Jesus is saying, I will give you everything you ever wanted if you'll just ask. And it kind of reminds me of a movie that I saw one time where a genie is awakened from his sleep and he has told this to this young man. He says, you get three wishes. Now, anybody knows that the first wish that you ask for is unlimited wishes, right? But that was ruled out in the movie, smart genie, right? Because everybody knows you, you don't just stop with one because unlimited is better than everything. It's unlimited wishes. It's unlimited data, unlimited ice cream, unlimited money. Unlimited is always better, right? In every part of your life, unlimited is better, and it kind of seems that that's what Jesus is saying. But if that's what Jesus has meant, then I've got to be honest with you. He has greatly disappointed me. Because if Jesus meant all you have to do is ask and poof, it'll be there. I'm, I, I would be disappointed because I've prayed for opportunities to come that have never materialized in my life. I've asked God for opportunities that have never materialized. I've asked God to do things in my life that he hasn't done. I've asked God to heal people in my life, in my family, that he hasn't healed. So what a disappointment this must be to read that Jesus is either a liar or we don't understand at all what he's talking about. What well, has to be the latter, doesn't it? It has to be that we don't understand what he's talking about when he talks about prayer. Maybe you should say, I should be disappointed, but I'm not. Because I'm glad that I don't serve some wish-granting genie who just gives me whatever I think I want in the moment because my wishes and desires and wants change all the time. But what we serve is the living God who sent Jesus Christ to die in our place. We serve the Savior of the world who has been resurrected from the dead. That's so much better than some kind of wish-granting genie. But what does he mean then? He had something else in mind when he told his followers to pray in this way. The original translation is slightly altered from the way that we read it today. In verse 7, Jesus told his followers to ask, seek, and knock. But all of those words, and maybe your Bible has a, a little notation beside those words, they actually could have been translated with the word keep in front of it. The, the, the word, the, that it would read like this, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. It's the idea of continual action, that you're constantly moving towards something. It's not just a one-time thing. But I think what makes it a little bit fuzzy for us as we read it, I can tell you, you should keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and you go, great. But what's the object of all of this? What's he telling us to do? That's what makes it fuzzy is that it, it doesn't maybe appear as clear as it should to us, 
But if we would just think about what he's been saying, all of a sudden the light will come on and you'll see the illumination of what he's talking about right here. When we started the Sermon on the Mount, we started with a series of messages called Hashtag Blessed. And we talked about the difference in the way that people use the word blessed today and the way that Jesus uses the word blessed. We think about it like this. You know, it's sunny today, blessed. That, that's not what he means. When he talks about being blessed, you remember that, he has something very different in mind. And I want to just remind you of this because it's the formation of your spiritual development that he's talking about. And it actually started in Matthew chapter 5, and I want to read verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus started this whole message by saying that when you're humble, you'll begin to see yourself as you really are. You'll begin to see that you have a sin problem in your life and that there's no remedy for your sin issue outside of Jesus Christ. And he says what starts to happen is that you begin to mourn this life that you realize you've been living that you can't go forward with. And so we begin to mourn the life that we lose and who we are apart from Christ. And he says we'll be comforted. How are we comforted? We're comforted in salvation. The fact that our sins can be forgiven and that Jesus Christ has saved us from our sins. And so the entire Sermon on the Mount has been building to this. But what's it been building? It's godly character. Think about it for a minute. Jesus has been telling us that there's some things in our lives that need to be present. Humility, mercy. He's told us there's a morality that needs to be present in our life. Then he says, don't be a judgmental person. And now he begins to say, you keep asking, you keep seeking, you keep knocking, and you will find those things. We keep after it because as we do, we're asking God to make those things happen in our lives. And here's the promise, he'll do it. When you pray for these things, we're seeing what Jesus is saying this morning is when you ask God to do these things in your life, he will absolutely answer that prayer. Why? Look at verse 8 of chapter 7. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And this is a promise that's been true from the very beginning. The scripture says in the book of Revelation that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And that anybody that opens the door, Jesus will come in if we'll receive him. And so in the same way, we're told this. If you knock on the door of heaven, if you call out for salvation today, you can rest assured it's a fact, it's a promise. No one who's ever cried out for mercy has been denied because of who they were. That's the whole reason we cry out for mercy. We know who we are. We recognize who we are. We recognize that on our own, we have no chance. The pride goes before the fall, right? It has to be laid aside. And what begins to happen in our life is that in humility, we begin seeking God. And God answers that prayer. And then he starts forming our character. I think many of us wish we had a better understanding of prayer. We wish that we had a vibrant prayer life where Prayers were answered all the time, and we saw God moving regularly, and we want that to be common. We don't want that to be kind of this extraordinary season where God answered a prayer. Don't you want God to answer prayer in your life? Don't you want to see God move in your life? Well, this passage is saying to us, stop with the excuses of, I've tried prayer and it doesn't work. Jesus is saying, this is how you should pray, because when we pray like this, it unlocks the keys for all of the answered prayers that we want to have in our lives. The issue is, most of us don't pray like this. Most of us kind of approach God like this. Um, 
Here's my little list of things to do. Fix it. Take care of that. Do what I want. Uh, we pray for all kinds of things, don't we? We, we pray uh, and ask God to help us get a job. We pray and ask God for a car. We pray and ask God to help us with our arthritis or our sprained ankle. We pray for a boyfriend or a girlfriend. We pray for all of these things in our lives. But there's not a, th- a thing in the world wrong with praying like that. But I notice that this doesn't seem to be the kinds of prayer that always get God's attention. Jesus is telling us right here, if you want my attention, if you want the Father's attention, start praying like this. Pray in such a way that it moves God's heart. Well, how do you do that? Well, you start praying for the things that he's told us to pray for. When was the last time that you prayed for God to send workers into the harvest? Jesus told us, pray that the Lord will send workers into the harvest. That's a prayer God's waiting to answer. When was the last time that you prayed that God's will would be done on heaven as it is on earth? When was the last time that you just prayed for daily bread and asked God and thanked God for the fact that you had a meal this morning? When was the last time that you asked God to help you have power over temptation? That's a prayer that we know will be answered. Jesus taught us to pray that way. So what he's saying here is pray in a way that moves the Father's heart. Don't just show up with God and give him some list and say, do it. God may not be interested in your list. And I'll get to that in a minute of why your list may not be as important as praying the things that Jesus tells us to pray. But Jesus is telling us to stay on track in our lives by constantly seeking to do God's will according to the sermon that he's already preached. Matthew 5, 6, and now 7. He's saying that we need to be praying for godly character to be formed in our lives, for our lives to be pure, for our lives to be transformed, for our attitudes on immorality and divorce and remarriage, all these kinds of things to be brought into conformity with the will of the Father. I think it would be a mistake for us this morning to believe that all we had to do is ask Jesus into our hearts and everything would be smooth sailing from then on out and that the quest or the chase would be over. A lot of us have asked Jesus into our hearts, but then we immediately turned our attention to the things that we want for our lives. But as a Christ follower, we're told to constantly seek these things. You remember Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and everything else is going to be added to your life. Be on search for those things. Be on the lookout for those things that move the heart of God. And as you begin praying like that and make it your life's pursuit, your quest, God begins to answer that prayer. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed in his death. You see, that's the goal. It supersedes everything. That's more important than being successful. It's more important than being well-liked. It's more important than being popular. It's more important than being healthy. We want to know him and the power that comes from his resurrection. And as we tap into that and we begin asking God to move in such a way that he answers the prayers that started in heaven, Jesus told us to pray this way. As we begin praying that way, those are the prayers that God's looking to answer. Every other thing that you want looks commonplace and ordinary compared to knowing Christ and having godly character built in your life. So why don't all our prayers get answered? Well, it might surprise you to know why some things we pray for end up on the ain't gonna happen list. They're not gonna happen. But James chapter four and verse three gives us a really clear picture of this. He says, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you can spend it on your pleasures. A prayer life marked with selfishness ends up with a lot of things on the ain't gonna happen list. Not gonna do it. 
I'm not going to do it because all you want this to do in your life is for your pleasure. And I don't know, we, we've, we're just so confused by that in America because we think the chief end of life is pleasure. But it's not. The chief end of our lives is to give God glory through our lives. That's the whole purpose of why you are still here. And so we confuse this. And so we ask God for things like the weather to be good on our vacations. And we ask God to do the, and, and we wonder if that really, do you think that that really moves the heart of God? Whether the weather is good on your vacation? I don't know. It doesn't seem to. Do you think that God cares more about that? Or do you think that he cares more about the souls who are lost, who no one cares about if they die and spend eternity in hell? Do you think that God's moved by that? Do you think that God's moved by that or when you pray, Lord, form character in me and don't let temptation overtake me today? What, what do you think moves the heart of God more? But too often, we just think that pleasure drives everything. But God's waiting to answer prayers that align with his purposes and his will for our lives. And he loves to do that for his children. He absolutely loves it. Listen to how Jesus compared how God responds to us to how earthly fathers respond to their children. In verse nine, he says, or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Earthly fathers understand this. A good earthly father will do amazing things for his children. He'll forego food so that his kids get to eat first. He'll sacrifice and work hard so that he can give his kid a Christmas present. He understands what it's like to give a good thing to a kid. And what Jesus is saying here is, think about this by comparison. You have this evil sin nature in you, and you get it. You figure it out. Why do you think that God, who is good, won't grant you every good gift according to his will? He's saying, God gets it. God's going to give it to you. But there's something that's really important in verse 11. I want you just to see it again. He says, how much more will your heavenly father who is heaven give what is good to those who ask him? What is good to those who ask him? That means that if you're asking God to do something that goes against his will, it's on the not going to happen list. If you're asking God to bless immorality in your life, not going to happen. If you're asking God to bless a relationship in your life that's outside of the bonds of what scripture says is good for us, it's not gonna happen. And we pray about these things and ask God to conform his will to our desires. That's not how it works. It won't work. God never grants you access to more sins. And here's what he will do. He will absolutely withhold something from you that he might give to someone else just because he knows you. He knows sometimes that if he were to grant that thing to you, it would ruin you. It would ruin you. If he gave you riches, maybe it would make you forget to pray for daily bread. Would you lose your dependence on him? You might wish for fame and a successful career, but he knows that you can't handle it because of your pride right now. It's not gonna happen. Your spiritual formation hasn't been made complete yet. You're asking God to give you a new job and he knows that if you take that job, it's gonna ruin your family. He sometimes withholds things that he might give to someone else because he knows what's good for you. Good for me. Now just give us a reminder here. Don't ever get stuck believing that God doesn't know what he's doing just because he didn't give you what you asked for. 
Don't ever get stuck in that place. Too many of us get stuck behind this thing of, I really wanted God to do this, and he didn't. So God, why don't you answer me? Don't you know what I'm asking for? Yeah, he knows what you're asking for. He's saying no. Because there's something about that that God knows as he's shaping your will in your life. It's not going to be good for you. The Heavenly Father gives us what is good for us. You know why? Because he knows you. He formed you. And he knows you perfectly and knows you better than you even know yourself. And he knows what you need, when you need it, and he's always on time with that. With what you need and when you need it. What God loves to do is answer the prayer of someone who says, God, make me humble. He loves that prayer. Let me be aware of my own sin today. God, make me pure. Keep me from temptation. He loves that prayer. Don't let my heart lust today, Lord. Let me treat everybody with respect. Keep this judgmental, critical attitude away from me, Lord. He loves that prayer. Provide for me today, Lord. Let me see your hand of mercy in the fact that you give me daily bread and answer this need in my life. He loves that prayer. God, send workers into the harvest. Loves that prayer. As the old pastor told me one time, the prayers that most often get answered on earth started in heaven. God, let your, your will be done on earth today as it is in heaven. As I was thinking and praying about this passage this week, I really was wondering what God might have to say to us through this passage. Because, I mean, ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. Over the last few weeks, I've been living in Luke chapter 11, just praying for some very specific things for our church. Luke chapter 11 is the kind of condensed version that Luke recorded of the Lord's Prayer. It's a smaller version of it where he just kind of breaks it down into its, its simplest parts and gives it to us. And I've just been going through that and, and praying through that. And, and I've been reading right after that that Jesus finished the Lord's Prayer there with a parable of persistence. He told his followers, when you pray, make sure that you keep praying. Make sure that you don't stop. And, and I'd read the parable, I understood the parable, but I was drawn to this passage again this week to look at the Lord's Prayer again, and I was just praying these things for our church. God, would you do this and, and that in our church? We need to see it, Lord. We're asking you to do this, praying the Lord's Prayer over our church. And I looked at that parable again, and it was funny because I'd read the parable just a few weeks ago, but I had missed the heading because it was in a different Bible. And in, in, in this Bible, it's not headed like this. The publisher of this other Bible entitled the parable, Ask, Seek, Knock. And I was like, well, that is interesting this week, Lord. And I want to just read it to you from Luke chapter 11, verse 5. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I don't have anything to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, don't bother me. The door's already been shut. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And I got to thinking about how that was labeled and, and how Jesus speaking this parable aligns so perfectly with the Sermon on the Mount of what he's just said of ask, seek, and knock. And it was this, this thing that came flooding back to my memory of persistence in prayer. And I was reminded of it from something that we did in one of our Timothy Initiative groups 
that we used to run here. There was a man who used to come and, and work with us in the Timothy Initiative here. We met on Wednesday nights, and we were training and going through this idea of how could we start evangelistic groups around. And this guy had been a preschool worker for years. And he was talking about persistence in prayer. And he said, you know, I learned a long time ago working in preschool that going to the bathroom is contagious. So you sit down to have the Bible story and somebody goes, I need to go to the bathroom. And if you let one go, everybody's going to go to the bathroom. And he said, what I started doing is saying, that's fine. If, let's just hang on for one minute. If you still need to go in one minute, you let me know and, and, and we'll go to the bathroom. And he said, what I found was that the people that really needed to go were like, hey, I got to go. I need to go to the bathroom. They persisted in it. But a lot of times it was this fly-by-night thing of like, I just kind of want to get up and get away from what we're doing right here and run to the restroom. And he said, that's persistence in prayer. When something's heavy on your heart, when God's moving in such a way in your spiritual formation and your character that you begin asking him over and over again, do it again, Lord, make me humble today. I see this in my life, it's gotta go. Lord, help me get rid of this. Lord, change my attitude on this. Lord, keep me from this temptation. When you persist in that, God answers that. And Jesus gives this great parable. He says, it's like when you have somebody come to your house and you go, surprise guest. Don't have anything ready to eat for them. And so you go to the neighbor's house and knock on the door because you know their pantry is always full. They go over to Costco when they do their shopping, not Publix, right? And so you knock on the door and they say, man, leave us alone. We are asleep. We're in bed. I'm not getting up and giving you anything. And you say, look, I got these people here. I really need you to do it. What did Jesus say? Not because you're the friend, but because of the persistence, because you kept knocking, because you kept asking, because you kept seeking. See, that's the chase of our lives. That's the quest of our lives, that we keep knocking, that we keep persisting in prayer, that we keep asking, we keep seeking, asking God to make it so in our lives. I wonder if sometimes God doesn't answer these prayers because they seem kind of like a little kid sitting around circle time on the rug that says, oh, yeah, God, really make me humble, but not really. Off to the next thing. Oh, God, really help me with this temptation. Not really. I don't have time for that. God, really help me. God, would you move? Would you... We do need laborers in the harvest sometime, Lord. If, if you ever get around to it, you do it. That'd be great. I, I don't have time for that because i got to watch sports today all day. I, I don't have time to persist in anything, Lord, because I'm too busy. I'm, I'm too scatterbrained in all this. And Jesus is saying, just persist in it. Just sit in my teaching for a little while and persist in it. Let me form who I want you to be in your life and keep asking the Father to do this. Keep knocking, keep seeking these things and I'm gonna do it. It's a promise. I'm gonna answer the prayer. I'm gonna change you. I'll form your character if you'll just keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. But what do you really want? This sounds really good for about five minutes in a sermon. But what do you really want? I mean, when you leave here today, what do you really want? What's the thing that's just pulling at your heart that you desire more than anything? Is it this? Is it for the character of Christ to be formed in you? Is it for you to reflect the righteousness of the Heavenly Father? Is it for you to be so on fire with the Holy Spirit in your life, changing your life that the world can see it? Or is it something that's just right in front of you? Give me this. Here's my need sheet. Fix it. That's genie in a bottle stuff. Not Heavenly Father stuff. I wonder sometimes if 
we're just frustrated in prayer because we keep asking for stuff that God keeps saying it's not gonna happen right now. And we're wasting time on that instead of just praying these prayers that are promised to be answered for us. I get confused sometimes and think that God's a lot more concerned with what I do than who I am. That's a mistake. God's more concerned with your character than he is your next promotion, your next vacation, or, or by the way, the next great thing you could do in this church for him. He's more concerned with your character. He wants us to be these reflections of who he is so that we pray to be salt and light, that we pray to be a city set up on a hill, that we pray to be a church that makes a difference in our city. And so I'm asking you this morning to pray to be a church that is holy, to be a church that prays for God to make us salt and light, to be a church that prays for humility, to be a church that prays for daily bread, not only just for our own lives, but for our church, that you would just go before the Lord and say, God, provide what we need. Show up, Lord, and, and grant that to us. And that's what Jesus was teaching, teaching when he said, ask, seek, and knock. You see, following Christ is the ultimate quest. It is your life's purpose. And when you get caught chasing other things, it's no wonder that prayer life gets stale, right? But if we want a vibrant prayer life, that's where it starts. We're about to enter into a season of prayer at the end of our service as we take the Lord's Supper together. And I would ask you to go before the Lord and do several things before we take this supper. One, I would ask you to go before the Lord and, and just pray that bold prayer that we talked about a few weeks ago, search me, try me, see if there be any wicked way within me, Lord. Because we can't take the Lord's Supper with unconfessed sin in our lives. It doesn't work. Now, if you're a Christ follower, you're welcome to take the Lord's Supper today. Uh, if, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been saved. You don't have to be a member of our church to take the Lord's Supper. It's his table. But we do ask that you be a person who would say, yeah, there's no barrier this morning standing between me and the Lord and taking this supper. The consequences of that are very serious. When we kind of play at this, the scripture says that some are sick and some are already dead who played at this table. It, it's, not a, it's not a joke for us. But this is a time for us to stop and go before the Lord. And this is the perfect opportunity for you to seek, to ask, and to knock. Lord, form my character right now, would you? And so I'm gonna ask you right now if you would bow your heads Close your eyes. Daniel's going to come and play. Our deacons are going to come and prepare the table. Father, as we enter into this time, we're, we're just recognizing that there's a lot of times in our lives where we're praying for things that are selfish. We're praying for things that are pleasure-based for us. And God, we're missing out on answered prayer. And so I pray for us today that you would just illuminate our eyes to asking, seeking, and knocking, to doing it with persistence, and that you would change our lives. As we take this table now, Lord, and celebrate 
your death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you for the grace that comes to us through your death, burial, and resurrection. And we proclaim this good news now from uh, this point until the day that you return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.